welcome back to It's Symbolic, where we have just taken everything we possibly can and turned it into something else. I don't... This is not my strongest intro. I'm Jacob Savage. I'm here. I'm so tired. Jacob? Yeah? Jacob? Yes? Jacob, listen to me. Yes, Ben? One of these days, next episode... I'm going to do a count of how many episode intros have turned into you saying, I don't know. <laughs> I will present this number to you. Shut up. And perhaps it will lead to some reflection. I mean, Would if you, you like... want to go ahead and take over that duty, be my guest. Maybe I will. It's just that we have got such an odd one. I don't know how this episode is going to go. I don't know where I'm going to be getting the clips. It's definitely something I want to talk about. You should, you should be more optimistic. You sure this is going to be a real humdinger episode. You're going to learn something. You're going to have some fun along the way. You're going to make oh, definitely. some friends. It's just from an uh, editing standpoint, it's going to be a nightmare because it is something that is not actually commercially available. Oh, so something that I don't care about and something that the listeners don't care about. <laughs> True. I, I guess... It's a very good episode if you are fond of schadenfreude. God God knows I am. God. Jesus. Anyway, we are going to be talking about the works of Volume Henry Darger. The story of the Vivian girls and what is known as the realms of the unreal of the Glandico-Angelinian war storm caused by the child slave rebellion. The story of the bravery of the Vivian girls called Violet and her sisters. This volume, I hope I can truthfully say, has scenes and incidents which no other story of usual size in the world may contain, either in fiction or reality. Things that might be comical, sad, and horrifying. To write everything here would spoil it all for the reader. Let the reader follow every event and adventure, and then he can, if he sets his mind and heart on it, take it on as if he himself was an actual participator. The author writes Or one of the many volume. other ways it's potentially pronounced. Yes. Darger, yeah. Darger, 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 Darger. There seemed to be up. It seemed to be up for debate. Darger seems to that works for me. Yeah, yeah. Darger's. The That's most how I say basic. it. Or lazy Anglophone style. I'll, until I actually watched the documentary I was presented with on the subject, uh, my dumb ass kept reading it as danger. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Danger. Henry Danger. I think that's a show on Nickelodeon. Is it? Yeah, no joke. Oh my god. Who I knows, don't know. Maybe they were inspired. I don't know how based on the works of Henry Danger. <laughs> it wow, it is a show on Nickelodeon. Wow. <laughs> it's it, it's it's our it's our it's one of the joints of friend of the show Dan Schneider. Oh. Oh dear. <laughs> oh my. It's a good thing I didn't go look like I didn't go searching for it on my own because I would have been very confused about why we would be covering this then. <laughs> oh God! One of these days, I just Damn, want did... I'll just leave you in the dark, and that'll did... be the case. Damn! Did Danny knock this one out of the park? <laughs> ben clearly he thought we were going to be talking about Nickelodeon, and now he's very disappointed. Mir, when I suggested we 
talk about this topic, your immediate response was a resounding yes. Yeah. So I take it you know and are familiar with this man. Yeah, uh, I'm into art. So I first became familiar with him and his work last year when I visited some friends out in Minneapolis. And some of them were originally from Chicago. And he's a Chicago artist. So um, he was more well-known to them than they were to me. And then earlier this semester, my one of my professors brought in a book on his work and oh. uh, ba baffled my classmates. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I'm, I came across this, I want to say college, because I am just such a fan of those instances where I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. This is one of those instances. Henry Darger. What is there to say about Henry Darger? As we discussed, there's no real agreed pronunciation of his name, so that kind of tells you a lot about his life right off the bat. He was born, as Mir already mentioned, in Chicago in 1892, and his mother died after giving birth to a daughter four years later. Father gave the daughter up for adoption because he could not take care of two children at once. Was, I, I guess they were just seen as a disposable resource back I in... think he was disabled, so one child was probably already pushing it. I don't know if he was disabled by this time. He certainly was within a few years. Yeah. He took care of young Henry, taught him how to read at a very early age, and he apparently just skipped grades when he was young because he was just that good, which is always yeah. a great way to set yourself up for a disappointment as an adult. <laughs> oh, no God. Yeah. Yep. Nothing and, uh, says depressed adult like academically excelling child. <laughs> Please, just let me stay back grades and be <laughs> smart in the scheme of things there. I, I mean, I was referring more to the fact that once you reach the real world and things aren't immediately coming to your gifted and talented mind, it means you're a failure. Well, fucked everything up. Guess I'm a failure. Yeah. yeah. Story of my goddamn life. <laughs> anyway, about 1900, so when Henry was about eight, the... Elder Darger was too disabled to properly take care of him. I don't know if this was a newer development or if it was a follow-up of previously existing conditions. Or something that just worsened over time. Yeah, that that's what I mean. I mean, it was yeah. the Edwardian-era U.S. So, who knows? Maybe... The factory he worked at just rose against him. Not not the people at the factory, the physical building and equipment, because that's how these things worked. As a result, Henry Darger Sr. was taken to an assisted living facility, and young Henry was moved over to a Catholic orphanage. Always a good sign. Yep. 
like I I was raised Jewish, so I can't speak for how much harsher a Catholic upbringing would be. But you if you have little anything... non ex you have mi like minimal non exposure. <laughs> yes, I have minimal non exposure. I mean, if there's anything that mass media has told me, it's that this is the breeding ground for serial killers. So. <laughs> Alternatively, yeah. the nuns are the serial killers. True. Yeah, I have... There's there's going to be silly serial killers one place or another. Or at the very least, everyone involved is going to end up deeply perverted. Or very mm. depressed. Uh, I do have a Catholic background, and while I did not go to Catholic school, my mom did. Um, and apparently by the time she went to Catholic school in the 1960s... Um, they could still smack you on, on the hands with a ruler, but by then that was still like toned way down from when her mother or grandmother went to Catholic school, during which time the nuns could slam you against the wall as a punishment. That doesn't sound like very <laughs> nun-like behavior. <laughs> Doing some fucking tables, ladders, and chairs match shit. <laughs> I mean, public school only abuses you emotionally. I don't know. Would you would you prefer if you had like teachers hitting you with rulers and throwing chalk at you and stuff? Uh, I I'm saying that somehow the modern public schooling is an improvement. Anyway, this sort of environment did not last long for Henry Darger. As apparently he would distract the other students by making odd noises. This is in his own words. I guess that's just very... It's unthinkable in a Catholic school scenario. So well, from... if there's one thing that children love, it's certainly funny noises. <laughs> yeah. And from what I have read, this is probably some form of symptom of Tourette's syndrome. That's that that seems to check out. Yes. Real Tourette's syndrome, not not the funny South Park one. Oh no, not that one. Oh no. Not the funny Ooh. one where it means you get a curse all the time. No, you can't say that on TV. By nineteen oh four, Darger was admitted into the Illinois Asylum for the Feeble-Minded. Sorry, the Illinois Asylum for Feeble-Minded Children. This does not sound like a particularly pleasant locale either. No, the diagnosis he received included being told that his heart was not in the right place. Hmm. Oh, literally. <laughs> yeah. I, I, for a second I was just sort of like, well, his kindness was misplaced, which is not much of a diagnosis. <laughs> No, I mean, I literally, where the hell else is it supposed to go? That makes more sense. That's something that you would diagnose. Yeah. It's, well, it's not something that you would diagnose because it's ridiculous. Yeah. Regardless, that was a diagnosis that was handed out. He was also confined to the institution in reality for self-abuse, which basically means that he was placed in this mental hospital for masturbating. Cool, cool yeah. system you guys have going on there. Yeah, I mean, 
Let's be real, that was that's, seen that's as a symptom of you, demonic huh? possession until, like, 1958. What I call science is fucking stupid. <laughs> it it is! It really is. God knows that masturbation is sexual depravity and not doing anything to actual real other people. Yeah. Darger himself felt that his behavior was a bit of a side effect of being able to see through adult lies. And as a result, becoming a smart aleck. He was also kind of rambunctious. Is that a crime? Is that something they can lock you away for? If you're a Catholic in the 1900s. (laughs) They were no fun then. Yeah, apparently he also got into, like, violent scrapes with other children. But that may just be that era's equivalent of boys will be boys. I don't know. And not like the awful, horrible legal defense of boys will be boys. But more along the lines of they have literally nothing better to do to amuse themselves. I thought that sort of behavior was encouraged, and you're a pansy if you don't get into those sort of scraps. Exactly. I feel like I'm getting, yeah, I feel like I'm getting mixed messages here. Precisely. You, If you did not brutally beat another child with a stick by the time you were 12, you were considered an outcast and had to live in the forest. Yeah. Over the next few years, Darger made a couple of escape attempts. Now, essentially, uh, the... Asylum for Feeble-Minded Children was not exactly a hospital in the modern sense. It is more of a source of free labor. So, so like, it's more of a prison in a modern sense. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of, yeah. In addition to being forced to do farm work for several hours a day, he also received pretty much every type of abuse. Like, this is not confirmed, but it's highly likely. He made a number of escape attempts, mostly between the years of 1906 to 1908. Around this time, he learned that his father had died. So, in 1908, he uh, made his final escape, which involved him walking the 160 miles between Jesus. the asylum oh. in Lincoln, Illinois, to Chicago. Um, fortunately, well, he... I guess he just had... So did he, he just had nowhere to go at this point, then? Not exactly. I mean, Chicago was all he knew, pretty much. This was, sense. I think, around the time, or at least shortly after, that it was considered, like, a major city. When was the World's Fair there? Like, the 1880s? Fortunately, Darger still had a godmother living in the area. So she was able to help Ah, him out, and he was able to get an apartment, and he got a job as a janitor at St. Joseph's Hospital, which was pretty much the only kind of job he worked until he died. He worked as a janitor, he worked as like a dishwasher, he worked at a bandage room, always these low-level menial jobs at hospitals. I will say that This does seem to be a sort of pattern that I have discovered in my research of these types of artists, where they would have this childhood, where they would have an abusive family or a somewhat negligent one, and end up in an orphanage, and then in a mental asylum, and then they created this really weird art, almost like the mental hospital system 
is inherently more damaging. Or at the very least in this era, I have a lot of thoughts on the matter, but that's a discussion for another time. So, was around the age of 18, so somewhere around 1910, 1911, where Darger began to write. He would write entirely in his apartment. After a few years, he moved on to typing. So, this was the start of his most well-known work, The Story of the Vivian Girls, in what is known as the Realms of the Unreal, of the Glendeco and Jelenian War Storm caused by the Child Slave Rebellion. Or in Is there like an acronym for that? It is most often referred to as in the realms of the unreal. He draw and paint many kinds of pictures. He worked steadily, but tore up sketches of the Vivian girls that proved very unsatisfactory. The hasty sketching would not matter to Penrod if he could catch their beautiful, queenly, subtle, and innocent, half-frightened look. And a look which was not vanity, slyness, but something more pretty, holy, lovable, dignified, and important. There is nothing yet that I have seen that is far more splendid and beautiful and sublime among all creation than the prettiest angels in pictures. Yet they're and dim compared it's to the Vivian Quite a work. It certainly seems like it. I mean, it's not available to read, for one thing. No, which made the research and whatnot very hard because a lot of what you find are like the exact same quotes and sources. And it's difficult to tell when exactly he finished writing it but the final work is 15,145 pages it would be a hard to publish type. in a pretty big scanner oh yes in total it's about 15 different volumes <sighs> and only the first seven are like actually bound and confirmed to be in the correct order. Everything else has been sorted by researchers. The things you can accomplish over a lifespan, I guess. Yeah. The story itself concerns the Christian nation of Abiania, which is under attack by the horrible, godless Glandolinians. The main characters are the Vivian girls, seven princesses, who rise up against the Glandolunian practice of child slavery. So for reference, you said that he started this at the age of 18. Yes. So he was already beyond being a child. Yes, he was. Yes, but very Technically speaking, I, I do feel... Yeah, no, 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 I... Technically speaking, I do feel like he was... Probably in some stage of arrested development. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's, yes, uh, the primary focus of the book is the children taking up the arms and fighting against the opposing army themselves. With help from not only their own forces, but a species called the Plungigaminians, which are gigantic winged beings with curved horns. That can sometimes take human shape, and despise those that would harm a child. Seems like a pretty reasonable thing to despise. Are those yeah. children screaming? Those 
Those glandolinians are crazed from drink. Those children did those butchers no harm. It must be an awful thing to be choked to death like that. Don't we know it? We were often choked like that. I wonder how it must feel to be strangled. Your throat hurts awfully, and there's an awful tickling feeling that makes you have a desperate feeling to cough. The worst feeling is to get no the, air. The other noteworthy part of In the Realms of the Unreal is the pictures. Now, Darger was, needless to say, not a trained artist. But he was a bit of a hoarder. He would go out at night and collect junk. And anything with images he would take... He spent a lot of time copying things, and after a while he discovered new methods of photocopying and enlargement. And he would create these large dioramas on butcher paper about- You know, I have to say- You mean uh, panoramas? Panorama. One of- the, yeah, panoramas. <laughs> That's why you're panorama. the art person. It's not a, it's not a diorama, <laughs> I can confirm yeah. that. Uh, but it's it's interesting uh, from a modern perspective. I couldn't necessarily pinpoint the sort of technologies that were available for you know creative efforts during that uh, any given time period, other than you know the most recent of the most recent. So just you know the met the methods through he which he would be uh, doing all these photo enlargements and the means through which he would make copies and that sort of thing. I thought that was all interesting. He definitely. The Original patent for to, photocopying was in the late 1930s. Mm, I see. So this would be a bit further on in the process. Right, right, right. But uh, it, it's interesting to see, you know, him follow along with the technological advancements, though, because you know, as mentioned, this is a work that spans many, 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 many years yes. of his life. So, so many. Yeah, and it's cool to see that the technique and resources available develop as well along the way. Yeah, a lot of these are about nine feet long, with art <sighs> on both sides. You can tell that he's using other sources. A lot of these showcase crowds full of people. Like, there's one image that you can find that I want to say has several dozen, if not a hundred. You can find several instances of characters standing directly next to each other that look exactly the same. Tell that he's oh, using it's... different sources for what's intended to be the same characters, but speaking as someone who is absolutely terrible at maintaining consistent character design, I think I'll let it slide. <laughs> yeah, he would... A lot of his figures and stuff were traced from comics and cartoons of the day. And also, he would utilize collage a lot. Oh, there, there is a lot of collage. I'd, I'd say it's a proper mixed media work. A lot of these images, most of which you can find online, are these really nice pastoral scenes full of children. And then you get those ones that are just full of nightmarish imagery and the horrors of war. There yeah, are... I was sort of as I was wa watching the documentary, I figured along the way, like God. They must have been looking for like the most fucked up stuff to show too, and they did. They did get to that eventually. I ha it didn't really seem to me like that was the majority of it. Like I feel like most of it was pretty tame in content, if not you know, yeah, I... fairly fluffy and nice. Yeah, he's but 
of his official on his official website there's about 50 images from in the realms of the unreal and only about one or two of them is blood and guts regardless yeah, that's what i've it's got to imagine for. that's what that's what some people come there for like oh man i want to see the fucked up stuff this guy thought of yep uh but there's really like there's some of that but it's really in, in the same vein component. there's also a lot of naked children yeah there are yep and most of these characters are girls that are drawn with penises there have been there were several proposed... proposed explanations for this yeah the people have assumed that it represents his own issues with gender identity and homosexuality, and apparently some of his other work delves further into it, but the more common explanation seems to be that he just legitimately did not know that there was a... Well, I don't know how to say this, but... Yeah, no, no. I... No, I mean, he legitimately I... did not know about different types of genitalia. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't feel like I can really say one way or another what my guess would be yeah, i mean other evidence both from the book and from his own life suggest that he thought rape was sort of equivalent to mugging or whatever mm. so i i believe he just did not understand yeah. other important things about this work it's worth noting that one of his favorite well not even one of his favorites one of his most noteworthy pieces of his collection that he did not really take note of until he could not find it was a photo from a 1911 edition of the Chicago Daily News showcasing Aliska Elsie Paraback, who was a Czech-American girl who was kidnapped and murdered. Now, it's a very tragic case, but does... Not really bear an exact correlation with Realms of the Unreal until Henry's copy of the photo disappeared. After which he began looking for it. He was a devout Christian at this point, going up to Mass up to five times a day. And he began a crusade of sorts, where he set up a shrine. And would beg God for the photo back. Or else he would cause the Christians to lose the war in his book. This was reflected in the book itself with the photograph of the leader of the first child slave rebellion, Annie Ehrenberg. Where the Abianian forces are consumed with the desire to locate this portrait, much to the downfall of their war efforts. Another important aspect to note is that one of the heroes of Henry Darger's book in the realms of the unreal is Henry Darger. United States. A young man of sturdy build was on his way toward a three-story house in the region of St. Joseph's Hospital. He wore the garb of a captain. He was a stern-looking man, Herculean build and tall enough to embrace six feet. He had a fierce visage full of determination, and if one happened to see him looking at them, they would have felt like rushing away for safety at once. Well, who does he know better? Yeah, he's an important American general who is moved by the pleas of the Vivian girls to fight for their side. Along with 
a fictionalized version of pretty much his only friend as an adult, William Schloter, both of whom have fairly major roles in the book. He also wrote a bully from his time in the asylum as the primary antagonist, which is one way to work through your issues. How many like well-published novels do you think have that sort of inspiration for their villains now? I feel like Butch Hartman has some <laughs> girl issues that he hasn't gotten over. <laughs> What what's what's this based on? Um, well you've got Trixie Tang and like the uh what's her name? The Latino bully girl from Downey Phantom and I don't know, just like snobby pretty rich girls who are popular. Butch Hartman just has a lot of issues, I think. Yeah, yeah he has a lot of issues <laughs> with women. I, I have not watched a I'm sorry uh, about the siren. It's fine. <laughs> it, it's Butch Hartman uh, coming about, to they're arrest talking about you. More, <laughs> talking about more weird Nickelodeon creators again. <laughs> yeah, you I, already got your one. You gotta stop. I have never oh seen a Butch god. Hartman show, so. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, that's like saying that Hitchcock or the people that made EC Comics had women issues. It's kind of obvious. <laughs> Yes. More than anything else, Darger wanted to adopt a child, and surprisingly, the church looked at this low-wage bachelor who had previously spent time in an asylum and figured that he would not be the best person to give a child to. Mm. This further added to his sort of despair against Christianity, because God would not hear his pleas for a child, which have been stated by priests to be some of the most deserving. And he even wrote himself into the book again as a villain. Oh. Yeah. After some time, he swore that he would stop writing altogether. And he did for a short time. And then he read a comic about a guy that goes to hell, and that scared him so much that... <laughs> He became even more of a devout Christian. It was a chick tract that fell through a time portal. <laughs> I, I was trying to think of the best way to bring up chick tracks, but... <laughs> Let's be honest, the time period by now would have been like the late 40s, early 50s, and if you know your horror comics by then, they could get pretty gruesome. Yes, eventually the novel was finished. The first seven volumes were hand-bound by him, and then the remaining eight were just scattered about, as I mentioned. There is a lot of supplementary material. He would write down names, he would write down songs, he would write down the cost of the war. Dorger was actually a Civil War junkie, so that's an interesting way to put that kind of fixation to use. I can't fault him for it. Can I throw in some kind of, like, cool uh topical diss like did a better job of uh clarifying his canon than jk rowling or <laughs> something like that oh god don't don't say that or she'll tweet at you we could use any attention we can get <laughs> <laughs> yes the novel ends with the victory of the vivian girls 
and the glory of Abiania living on as the Glantolinian general surrenders. And then it ends with the Glantolinian army conquering, slaughtering all in their path. These two endings are written on opposite sides of the same piece of paper. Did I did I miss like a choose your own adventure component of this or something? <laughs> Who knows? Did I not amass enough points to get the good ending? Uh, apparently not. You forgot a step. And you know, you know, if he had a copy of like RPG Maker, he would have gone. Oh my god, he would have gone nuts. <laughs> or Hog twine. wild. Violet and her sisters missed nothing during the great conflicts. They were sitting motionless for hours, but their faces and eyes were dancing with some strange delight. They seemed wrapped up in some seventh heaven of childhood, a place few children reach. You had better come and see the little girls before their happiness slackens. I mean, by far, in the realms of the Unreal is Darger's best-known work, both due to the fact that it has the most visual component with the most striking visual style. Yeah. But also... And the material within is also... Yeah, there's just uh, so much. There remarkable. are a lot of influences taken from other works. You can find a lot of Dickens in there. Did he... I might have missed it. But did he read much fiction himself? Presumably, yeah. From what I recall, he had a fairly large library. Okay, because yeah, I'm thinking about it now, and I remember a lot being mentioned about, you know, uh, the, the all the comics and pictures and stuff, but... I don't. I didn't remember a whole lot about him actually reading. Now that I think about it, yes, I've heard people that have actually read it. As I've said, this is not commercially available. It's only found in museums. But scholars have said that it is surprisingly good. Hmm. It could definitely use an editor. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's certainly thorough. You can't really ask for. A much more developed mythos than something that took the entire lifespan of someone to develop. But, I mean, but when J.R.R. Tolkien does it, it's a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It's certainly one of the longest works in the English language. I don't know if it is the longest. I think that's like some fan fiction or something, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> isn't it like some Super Smash Brothers fan fiction? I'm pretty I, sure, I yeah. I think so. I think I actually tried reading it a couple times as a teenager, but could not get through it. Just, like, out of morbid I mean, curiosity. To be honest, I can't help but feel like there's some some parallels here, but that's something we can get to later. <laughs> yes. No, I don't I don't mean that in, like, a negative way. I, I, I know, I know. I'm, I'm curious to hear what you'll say. But there are... No, nothing, that, nothing that worth getting excited over, I promise. A ton of other books that... He has, there's plenty of other things that he has written from 1957 to 1967. He kept a book of weather reports on temperatures, fair cloudy to clear skies, snow, rain, or summer storms, and winter snows, and big blizzards. Also the low temperatures of severe cold waves and hot spells of summer. He was really interested in the weather. Yes. And he really fucking hated weathermen. <laughs> yes. Like, people... He was an enigma to the people he met in real life. Apparently, he would only discuss the weather with other people. And he also claimed... Like maybe along the line, someone told him, like, hey, you know, if you want casual conversation, talk about the weather is a good way to do it. 
And then he really took that to heart, maybe. I mean, this obsession t- dates back to his childhood, so who knows. He also claimed to huh. be from Brazil. He uh, wrote a sequel to In the Realms of the Unknown, which is about 10,500 pages, previously known as... Which ending is established as canon? Um, I believe the one where they win. It was originally sense. known as Crazy House. Today, it, it had no official title. It, currently, it is referred to as Further Adventures of the Vivian Girls in Chicago. A, a less unknown realm. Yes. Er, Adventures of them in the Windy City. Yes, it took the Vivian sisters to Chicago. That feels like a uh, like a made-for-TV special. I mean, apparently during the same time as the original book, where they encounter a house that is either possessed or just plain evil, and will murder children. Eventually- A monster house. Yes. This was the basis for the Dan Harmon movie. Well, no, it's not. I saw that movie in theater. (laughs) Big fan, huh? No, this leads to the lead characters holding a full-scale holy mass in every room of the house in order to exercise it. That seems like quite a time commitment. I don't necessarily know about uh, what it takes to perf- to have a mass, but it does not seem like a low-effort thing. In... This book ends in the middle of a scene, so. Was was this due to his death? Or we don't know. He it... got bored of it. Ah, I see. And his final noteworthy piece of work is The History of My Life, which is a handwritten manuscript in eight volumes, which spends 37 pages of descriptions from the Holy Bible, 200 pages of Darger's memoirs, and then 5,000 pages about a tornado named Sweetie Pie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And the tornado can think. It's a sentient tornado. We don't know that they don't. (laughs) I would watch a show about a sentient... I would read a book about a sentient tornado. He certainly didn't know that they didn't. (laughs) Weren't. Couldn't. Yes. He produced... All of this material over a realm of about 60 years or so, living essentially in small apartments, never speaking to anyone, and never showing this work to anyone at all. Speaking to himself, though. Yes. He spoke to himself a lot. Apparently, he was a very good mimic. And he would just hold imaginary yeah. conversations with his bosses when he was alone in his room. Sorry, imaginary arguments. Yeah, <clears throat> which... Because, like, kids would report hearing him talking to people, but, like, it was just him talking to himself. Perhaps a voice acting career that never was. Oh, oh dear. Who knows? We don't know what he sounded like. We barely know what he looked like. There's only three or four confirmed photos of him. Yeah, the documentary you watched only had a couple photos it repeated. Yeah, but by 
1973, he had become too physically ill and weak to transverse the apartment building. He was forced to retire by this point. So he asked his landlord to move him to an assisted living facility. After a while, after a while, he asked his landlords, Nathan and Kyoko Lerner, to just clear out his room. Just get rid of everything Emily Dickinson style. Now, these were pretty much the only people that really knew Darger, since from what we can tell, Darger kind of saw his landlord as a bit of a father figure. But as they were looking through, Nathan Lerner was an artist, and he discovered Darger's writings and paintings, and immediately ceased the process of clearing everything out. I think they say that the collected detritus was about knee-high, and this was a two-room apartment. Huh. And he, he never even slept on his bed. He used that to hold his works. I've gone through periods of my life like that. <laughs> Where did you sleep then? He uh... slept in a chair. No, not him here. Uh, on the floor, or on my trundle bed. So, so to you, sleeping in the in a chair is like luxury. <laughs> it, it's a little awkward. The chair that I have, the comfiest chair that I have. So the floor is better. Yeah, I like to stretch out. It's a very nice floor. Also, your floor presumably wasn't covered in your work, like. It seems to be the case for him. Uh, it kind of is. She's an art I can, student. I can make room for myself. <laughs> That's a good skill to have. <laughs> it, yeah, there exists footage of them going through the room back in the 70s, and it is just packed. But eventually, people did speak with him. He was sort of, I want to say, catatonic. He withdrew completely and did not communicate with anyone when he was in assisted living. However, he was apparently pleasantly surprised when approached about the artwork and told that the people that discovered it saw worth in it. But his only response that he gave was, too late now. Aww. That's, that's heartbreaking, yeah. Yeah, I believe he died just a few days after that. He died the day after his 81st birthday in 1973. And his headstone is inscribed as Artist and Protector of Children. Learners got full control of the Darger estate, so they still control all of the work. Nathan Lerner died in 1997. Kyoko Lerner still maintains everything. And a lot of the work has since been sent off to museums, particularly museums focused on folk art and the like. I believe they actually showed up at the Museum of Modern Art at one point. Hmm. At auction, his work is pretty much considered the highest priced of any self-taught artist. Going up to prices higher than 
$50,000. Perhaps the primary source from which people learn of Darger and his work is the 2004 documentary In the Realms of the Unreal, which was created by Jessica Yu, who by this point had already won an Academy Award for Best Documentary Short Subject. And it's a bit unlike most other documentaries, given how little is actually known about him. It's mostly a narrated biography coupled with shots of the artwork. It won the National Film Board Award for Best Documentary at the 2004 Vancouver International Film Festival and was nominated for Best Documentary Screenplay from the Writers Guild of America. It lost to Supersize Me, so fuck that. Mm. Fuck that. Oh. There, another documentary made by Mark Stokes focuses more on his earlier life and the more obscure works the revolutions of the night the enigma of henry darger it's a bit harder to track down i have not seen it needless to say there has been there's been quite a lot of influence on visual artwork like graphic novels and the like the john ashbury poem girls on the run is inspired by the vivian girls and a turn-based strategy game sissy fight 2000 uses the same sort of visual style and lists darger as a direct influence there's also been a radio play and quite a few different songs created in tribute to darger like, that's quite a lot for yes work that isn't actually available to to read. There's songs by Natalie Merchant, Neutral yeah. Milk Hotel, Indochine, yeah. that all are explicitly or hinted to be inspired by Darger. Interestingly enough, the art handbook Making Comics also delves into Darger a bit, where he talks about how creating too much of a character's backstory can make a narrative that's already complicated a bit out of control yeah it's a long way from how Darger was originally viewed because due to the aforementioned pictures of violence and naked children a good portion of critics back in the 70s assumed that he was probably a serial killer and a pedophile but Really, the way... I'm glad we're able to take a more critical perspective of it nowadays. Yeah. yeah. He was just coping with untreated, horrible trauma. Yeah, that. And uh, there's different aspects that I think need to be weighed in. Like, the nudity, I think that was legitimately just innocence on his part. He clearly did not have a normal upbringing by any yeah, means. Yeah, he kind of viewed himself yeah. as a child. And the killing of children that constantly takes place is kind of a sense of the worst thing he can possibly think of in order to make the already hateable villains even more disliked. Needless to say, he is now considered to be at the forefront of outsider art, 
which we've spoken about before. Not in yeah. regards to visual. Yes, we art. have. We've spoke about some sort of... In terms of music, yeah. yeah. It's art created by essentially self-taught people that are legitimately outside of the general art world without the preconceived notions and training. Yeah, that, that's what makes Darger's work stand out. Like, if you can get past the more objectionable content, this work is, like, legitimately kind of beautiful. Yeah. He... I really like his work. Um, and uh, I wouldn't deny that it influences my own. Um, after the that one professor I mentioned earlier had shown us that book, uh, I had some of my classmates say that my work reminded them of Darger's. Ah, oh, um, I can kind of uh, see that. Yeah, yeah, a little. It's. In, I think one, there's one's... an interesting juxtaposition between, you know, the the very religious. I wouldn't say religious background because he sort of discovered that for himself to some extent, I guess. Yeah. But just how how much of an influence that is, and his work combined with all the contemporary influences, how so much of it is not just influenced by, but directly taken from, you know, comics and cartoons from the era. Yeah. And certainly the uh, artistic means he used were quite different than what would typically be used to produce those contemporary works. Yeah, I mean, like, the mixed-media style is something that you definitely didn't really see before, and you don't see it too often after. God, I am beating myself up for not going to the relevant museums last time I was in New York. I would have loved to... I'm sure they have some of the artwork. I think you'll be the, back. I'm sure. I think the books are all in completely private collections. That would be interesting, though. Just trying to read the whole thing. I would like that, to read it. That feels like an impossible effort. I mean, I've been trying to read it, which is a comparable task, in my opinion. Reading the Bible seems like an impossible task <laughs> to me. <laughs> Uh, That's fair. But apparently people have done it. Apparently. <laughs> Couldn't be me. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know, just... Uh, once again, looking at things from a modern perspective, I wonder if you had a, a creative force like him as dedicated to a single world and a single piece of work, and if you were to place him with the tools we have nowadays, the internet and all sorts of software and all that, just... What, what sort of thing would be created? Oh God, you're right. It almost feels like it almost feels like a shame that he was so limited with uh, the 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 means of his time. I mean, admittedly, uh, that was probably a whole new world compared to even just a few years earlier. Yeah, I'm certain. Yeah. And then, like I said, I can't help but feel like there's some comparison to, I don't know that that same sort of I wouldn't say quite the same, but. There's definitely a subculture of outsider art along the lines of those sort of like massive fan fictions and undertakings like that that people mostly create for their own sake because it's an outlet and they just continue to add to it exactly. over time. Yeah. That's just totally non, you know, non-commercial just for the sake of creating it for themselves. It's a lot easier for that to um reach other people nowadays though. Exactly. For all of us who survive. 
we shall march, our dead comrades beside us, the years of this unusual war behind us. Against whom? Against whom? Well, thank you for allowing us to reach you. Thank you for listening to It's Symbolic. <laughs> if... That that wasn't bad. If you if you could do the intros with the 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 same dexterity that you do these transitions into the outro. Yeah, I mean, then we'd be. Cooking. I have been waiting for the past five minutes for a good sentence to hold on to. <laughs> That's true. It did feel like you jumped on that one a bit quickly. <laughs> anyway, if you want to talk to us, if you have a suggestion for something to cover, if you have criticism, anything, we are available on Twitter at it's symbolic PC. Or through email at itsymbolicpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram at itsymbolicpodcast if you want to see pictures of not Henry Darger, because there's not very many of those, but there's quite a bit of his artwork. We'll try to avoid any that involves uh, severed child parts. Yeah. I-, I believe most people look down on those. And maybe not uh, dicks either. Oh. Yeah. That might be harder to I avoid, mean, actually. Th- those have their fans, but not in this context. Anyway. And as usual, no matter how you're listening to us, be it through iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, whether it's through some ridiculously dedicated transcript found in some sort of... Man, that'd be dope. Or... I should I should print out all of our stuff before we die. <laughs> just sort of like this, the, the waveforms or something. Oh, there you go. We can hide mixed media images in the spectrogram Ooh, that'd be cool yeah uh, be sure to leave a rating and review that's the best way to help us it's the best way to help the algorithms it's the best way to help the whole thing anyway i'm jacob i'm here i'm ben join us next time where we explore the. i didn't say i was ben at the beginning i went right into how i was tired of jacob <laughs> yeah, Holy I, shit. I said your name i said your name <laughs> Oh, okay, good. Oh, Oh, we would have to do all this over. I mean, this is all one take, unedited. Next time... Sorry, do your outro. (laughs) Next time, we're going to explore the wonderful world of turnips. I know all about that thanks to Animal Crossing. Oh. Does that count? Oh, God. It's sort of like the stock market. I could never get the hang of that. That's such a commitment, you know? Like, you need to log in daily just for the hopes that the random number generator decides I that hope you're logging in daily you're gonna to Animal make Crossing money today. anyway. Not in 2019. Do you want to make Isabel sad? <laughs> Fuck Isabel. That's it, you're off the podcast. But, wait, not like that, though. Next time I see you, we're gonna have to pause. I'm forgetting you. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Take that, you rascal and enemy of God, John Manley. I hate you!